Once again, good morning to everyone. Um, if you are new, I'm Jamie, and I am one of the pastors here. And it is my honor and my privilege this morning to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We'll pick up where we left off last Lord's Day. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. We're going to be reading all the way down to verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Grab one of the black Bibles and you'll find Luke chapter 6 on page 862. And if you don't own a Bible, please go ahead and take that Bible home with you and read it. That is this congregation's gift to you. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. I'll read the whole passage. We'll pray together and ask for the Lord's help on our time together. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in the heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you, when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Would you pray with me? Father, we lay ourselves before you this morning and ask that you would do a miracle in our hearts and give us eyes to see the glories of Jesus ears to hear the words of Jesus, that we would be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus and please you because of Jesus. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Odysseus had been far from home for many years fighting in the Trojan Wars. He had won some acclaim for himself as a great warrior, but he missed his wife, 
who was anxiously awaiting his return home to Greece. And so he set out on the long voyage across dangerous waters. On the journey, Odysseus would encounter hideous monsters, cannibals, a witch, along with all the fury of the sea. But among the most lethal of the dangers were the beguiling and deadly sirens. The sirens lived on a lush meadow on a tiny island. They sat on the seacoast and called out to passing ships. And with their enchanted song, they would lure unsuspecting sailors near their shore where their ships would be dashed upon the rocks and they would never be heard from again. Odysseus knew about the sirens. He had been warned about them. And he had been told to stop his ears and the ears of his crew with wax from a candle so as to prevent them from being lured in from the siren's song. And Odysseus did this for his men. But ever the adventurer, he wanted to hear the song himself and to tell the tale. And so Odysseus had his men tie him with ropes to the mast of the ship. And he commanded them, no matter what happens, no matter what I say to you, as we pass the sirens, keep me tied to the ship and do not stop rowing. Well, the siren song worked its magic. And Odysseus, the great warrior, tried with all of his might to plunge himself into the sea and to swim to the sirens. He strained against the bonds which cut into his flesh, and he screamed at his men to loose him. But they'd been warned of this, and so they tightened the bonds, and they rowed faster. To Odysseus, under the spell of the sirens, they looked as beautiful as Helen of Troy. But to the crew, who could not hear their song because of the wax in their ears, they looked like hungry monsters and certain death. And when the sirens were only an echo of an echo, the men unplugged their ears and untied their grateful captain, who had survived and come to his senses. In the passage before us this morning, the Lord Jesus warns his disciples of a different siren song, one which is far more deadly than the one told in Homer's fairy tale. It's a siren song of a world turned upside down by rebellion and sin. When mankind rebelled against his creator, he cut off the only source of true happiness and peace and joy. Informed by his sin, perverted by his sin, which had spread like a cancer, mankind sought to reinvent what would bring him happiness and peace and joy. Riches, he thought, to make him feel more powerful, more in control. Food, he thought, to make him feel full. Entertainment, he thought, to make him happy. And a good reputation to make him feel loved. This 
siren song of the world was turned upside down by sin. This is the siren song we are all familiar with. Therapeutic self-discovery. That you are who you feel yourself to be. That you are good. That the most good of all goods is self-acceptance and self-actualization. And this is the siren song which will lead to the shipwreck of your soul. Jesus Christ came into the world to turn the world right side up again. And here he trains his disciples in the truth and teaches them what will, tr- what will, what will lead to lasting and true satisfaction and joy. Jesus reveals the true spiritual state of mankind so that sinners would come to him and hear him and be healed by him and receive the reward of satisfied joy in his eternal kingdom. If you'll go to the next slide, this is the main point we'll make here this morning. That Jesus Christ reveals humanity's true spiritual state so that sinners would turn to him and hear him and be healed by him. And even though they may be persecuted, receive the reward of satisfied joy in his eternal kingdom. God's word functions like the rope that held Odysseus to the mast of the ship keeping us from plunging ourselves into the ruin of the waters by the siren's island. His word will reveal to us how upside down our lives truly are and reveal to us that by turning to him, we will find happiness, peace, and the joy that we all long for. Three lessons to follow from the passage before us, which will serve as the outline of our time together. Number one, hear Jesus and be healed, which we will see in verses 17 to 19. Hear Jesus and be healed. Number two, in Jesus are true blessing and happiness. In Jesus are true blessing and happiness, which is the lesson that comes from verses 20 to 23. And then finally, Without Jesus, there is no blessing or happiness. Without Jesus, there is no blessing and happiness, which I trust we'll see from verses 24 to 26. So let's have a look again at verses 17 to 19. Hear Jesus and be healed. Let's read again. And Jesus came down with them. And stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Last week we read Jesus coming up the mountain to pray where he prayed all night long. And in the morning, he called his disciples to himself. And from his many disciples, he chose 12 that he called apostles. 
And you'll remember from last week, the word apostle just means messenger, one who is sent, a courier with his message, men that Jesus would send into the world with the good news of the kingdom of God. In our passage today, the Lord comes down from that same mountain and stands on a level place. And Luke describes three different sets of people that are with him. The apostles, who he called, the great crowd of disciples who were following him, and then he mentions a third group, the great multitude of people from all over, regions of Judea, city of Jerusalem, cities of Tyre and Sidon. And here we see that the reach of Jesus' ministry is spreading. People are coming from very far away to see him and to hear him and to be healed by him. Now, I told you last week that Jesus calls his apostles, but he has yet to train his apostles and send them out. This is the beginning of their training. And so here we see the Lord modeling for his apostles gospel ministry. And look at what he is showing them. This is gospel ministry. God the Son come down from the mountain to the people. And the people are drawn to him from everywhere. And he speaks to them and they hear him and they are healed of their diseases. Those who are troubled with unclean spirits are cured. Those who have been given faith stretch out their hand to touch him and power comes out from him and heals them all. It's like he's telling the twelve, this is ministry. Boys, this is how you do ministry. I will draw people to myself. Put me in the center. Put my word in the center and speak my word to all who will listen. And when they see me, when they hear me, know that I am the answer to all of their needs, their spiritual needs, their physical needs, their psychological needs. And when they reach out to me, touch me, I will heal them. And church, this is the essence of gospel ministry today. Jesus is still speaking. God the Son come down from heaven who has saved sinners from their sin and the effects of their sin. And just like Luke 6, Jesus standing on the plain, the Lord has drawn a mixed crowd here today. There are some here who have bound the knee to the Lord Jesus, who have confessed Him as their Lord, who are disciples truly of the Lord, learning about the Lord. And there are others who are here who are interested in the things of the Lord, but still not sure about the Lord. And there are still more who are looking on from a distance. And our job is simply to herald Christ. To put Jesus at the center and point everything to Him. To preach His Word and to expect that by God's grace and mercy, those who are troubled with the disease of their sin will reach out and grab the Lord and be healed. This is our mission. Verse 18. Come, hear, and be healed. Because you should know the greatest disease afflicting this world is unbelief. 
A confused and dying world must call upon the Lord in order to be saved from the judgment of their unbelief. But as the apostle asks in Romans chapter 10, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so we must do as the disciples did. And we must renew our commitment to put Christ in the center of our lives and our church, to put His Word before everyone and watch as the Lord would grant faith to the sinner and save him from his sin and heal every spiritual disease. Your evangelism, Christian, is an invitation to healing, an invitation to lasting joy. And so you might be thinking, and you should be, hold up, preacher. These verses are about physical healing. These people came to Jesus for physical healing, and that's what they received from Jesus, physical healing. And you're talking about spiritual things. And you're right about that. And that's a good objection. Of course, Jesus healed the sick. Of course, Jesus cast out demons. Of course, Jesus fed the hungry. He did it, and it is glorious that he did it. But that is not the reason that he came. Jesus told us the reason he came in John chapter 18, where he said, For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Which is the same thing he said back in chapter 4, if you were with us Back then, he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus came to set the world right side up with the truth. These passages, verse 17 to 19, 20 and following, are put together for a reason. Luke put these paragraphs together for a reason. Verses 17 to 19 are lessons for the disciples about the centrality of Christ, that He is the solution to all that, all that troubles mankind. And the sermon that follows, verse 20 to the end of the chapter, is the application of that truth, of that lesson. For just consider, it was lies about the character and nature of God which brought death and disease into the world God made. It was lies. And so the truth about the character and nature of God is the thing that will bring life and healing to the world that God made. And what follows is a controlled demolition of every philosophy that has been devised by man. The words that we will read again are perfectly placed detonations within the foundation of every human philosophy, causing the whole thing to implode and collapse under its own weight. And I must warn you, the sermon 
that follows. The sermon that we will consider over the next four weeks is not only true, it's not only life-giving, it's not only joy-filling, it is dangerous when believed and lived. The words that follow will confront the world's most fundamental philosophies. These words, when believed and when lived, will separate families and friends and denominations. And they will get people fired. And they will ruin businesses. And they may even get some people killed. There are entire industries in this world which are built upon the philosophies that Jesus is about to destroy. And so, friends, hear, heed these words. Listen to them carefully and bank your lives on these words, for they are true, and they lead to Christ, and they lead to joy and happiness and peace. And so to these words, we now turn. Verse 20. In Jesus is true blessing and happiness. Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Lesson two for the disciples. This is where you find true blessing, happiness, and flourishing. Now Luke tells us that this sermon was given specifically for the disciples. Because if they were going to follow him, if they were going to be messengers of his gospel, they need to know what the good news is. If they're going to be messengers of the good news, they should probably know what the good news is. And so he starts off by explaining the good life. This is the good news that leads to the good life. The place where they will find peace, happiness, joy. And he starts by dismantling all other man-made philosophies. Every other man-made approach to those things. The word blessing in these verses means happy. Not in the sense of the positive feeling that you get from external circumstances that are favorable to you. A a word which means much more than that. It's a richer word than that. It describes the person who is fully resigned to the Lord, who knows that in the Lord she is safe, secure, free of worries and anxieties of the world. It's a word which describes 
human flourishing, what we might call the good life. And Jesus says the first entrance into human flourishing, the first step into the good life is this, poverty. Blessed are you who are poor. Now, you should know that this word poor means poor, money poor. But Jesus is not talking just about material poverty, the lack of wealth. It's a metaphor. And we know it's a metaphor because of the context. We also know that material poverty is not the only thing he's talking about here because material poverty isn't what gets you into heaven. You don't need Jesus to be broke. Plenty of you got broke without any help from Jesus at all. Jesus is speaking of something more profound than an empty bank account. Jesus is speaking to those who are spiritually bankrupt. Matthew's gospel says this specifically. He says, blessed are those who are the poor in spirit. And here's what this means. The blessing of God, the entrance into the good life, starts with the recognition and acceptance of your own spiritual poverty. It starts when we recognize that we have bankrupted our lives, our very selves, by our sin. Because we have rebelled against God, our spiritual bank account is overdrawn. And it is so far in the red that we have no hope in a thousand lifetimes of bringing it even back to zero, let alone earning enough good deeds to justify God's acceptance of us into His eternal heaven. This is where the good life starts. Blessed are you who are poor. And that's a bomb. That's a bomb going off. Because ingrained in each one of us is this notion that we're all pretty good people trying our best who sometimes get it wrong. And Jesus says, nope. You're broke. And you're broke. Too broke to fix how broke you are. So broke you can't get yourself unbroke. And there's no amount of good deeds that is going to help you get unbroke. But this is good news. Because this is where the good life starts. He goes on in verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you will be satisfied. And here again, we know that Jesus is not referring to merely physical things. Because physical hunger saves no one. But physical hunger is a great way to explain what must happen to those who are spiritually poor before they can be satisfied. Once we have become aware of our spiritual poverty, the hunger pangs to be made right with God set in. Once we have truly accepted our spiritual destitution, then we begin to crave spiritual nutrition. We begin to yearn for God to feed us 
to fill us. Only the hungry will turn to the Lord to be satisfied. He goes on, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. To weep means just that, to mourn, to cry, to lament. Once a person has seen what she has done to herself and to others by her sin, she can feel her spiritual poverty and her hunger is growing to be made right with God and she weeps over the tragic state of her affairs because she knows there's nothing she can do to be made right. There is nothing she can do to fix her own problem with sin. She feels the pain of God's glory in her life slighted. Verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. One more detonation in the foundation of the vain philosophies of men because to our mind, happy is the man with many friends who is universally adored. But Jesus taught His disciples the truth because He knew what awaited these twelve men. When the disciples understood their spiritual bankruptcy, when they felt the hunger pangs for God's own righteousness, they wept because it's so far out of reach. And this fundamentally changed the way they viewed everything. And because of their love of God and their love of their fellow man, they learned the danger that man puts himself in by his sin, and they felt obligated to say something about that. To tell him, to tell her how to avoid the ruin of the siren song. If, if you knew a family member or a friend was to get behind the wheel of a car whose brakes were guaranteed to fail at any moment, the only loving thing you must do is tell them and everything you can do within reason to stop them getting in the car and driving to their certain death. But many of our family and our friends don't want to hear it. The siren song echoing in their mind is too strong. and They want so badly to be in the car and they hate, and they block, and they curse those who love them, and those who warn them of danger. And this is what happened to the disciples. Truth be told, this is what happens to all who follow Christ. Lest we forget what the Bible has promised that all those who 
desire to live a life of godliness will be persecuted. All those who desire to live a life of godliness might be persecuted. No, will be persecuted. Brothers and sisters, persecution is not some crazy thing that happens to some Christians sometimes. It's something that happens to all Christians all the time. It's like Pharaoh blaming Moses for the plagues that he was calling down upon himself for his unbelief. It's like King Zedekiah throwing the prophet Jeremiah into prison for telling the truth. This is what happens. God's people are maligned for preaching, for living lives of godliness. And so Jesus says, when these things happen, boys, when you are persecuted, don't you go thinking that you've fallen out of favor with me. Just the opposite. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Three imperatives in this whole passage that we're considering this morning. Three. And they're all in this verse. Rejoice when persecuted. Leap for joy. And behold, look for your reward in heaven. The Lord Jesus is turning the disciples' world right side up. The good life is not found in riches and full bellies and entertainment and a good reputation. That's the message of the world. It's the siren song that will destroy your life. The good life is found in me. You want the kingdom of God? You want unending satisfaction? You want laughter till the very end? You want great reward? Turn to Jesus. And let your spiritual poverty and your spiritual hunger for His righteousness drive you to Him. He will satisfy you. And He will give you reasons to laugh forever. And what these disciples don't know yet is that in a few short years, the Lord Jesus would climb a different mountain. He would climb the hill of Calvary where He will give His own life as a sacrifice on behalf of all who turn to Him in faith. And he would die. And he would be laid in a tomb. And three days later, he would rise from the dead. And that all who believe in him, all who stretch out their hands in faith and take hold of him, like in verse 19, power comes out of him to heal them of their sin, to heal them of the effects of their sin, and to heal them of the judgment of God for their sin. The spiritual poverty of everyone here is erased the moment you turn to Christ. The balance of your spiritual bank account overdrawn by your own sin is replaced by the infinite righteousness of Christ. And you are given entrance into the eternal kingdom. Yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus becomes your satisfaction and joy and you laugh yourself through life's every sorrow knowing that this light momentary affliction is creating for me an eternal weight in glory. And though you may be reviled and though you may be spurned and though you may be rejected and though you may be blocked on account of Jesus, 
the Son of Man, you know that because of the cross, you've been, you've been joined to Jesus, you've been united to Christ, and therefore eternally accepted by God the Father, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and joined together with multitudes of believers across the centuries who have shared the same fate. What can man do to you? Rejected by man? Accepted by God. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm deeply glad that you're here in church with us today. You picked the perfect day to come to church. Mother's Day is the best day to come to church. If you're feeling the weight of your sin, you need to know there's a way to have that weight lifted. There's a way to be delivered from the demons that afflict you. Before you leave here today, admit to yourself and admit to your God that you've blown it and that you need fixing and you can't do that fixing on your own. And You must understand something that as long as you think that you have something, you will never have anything. But the, re- the moment that you recognize that you have nothing and turn to Jesus, then you will have everything. Repent of your sins. Stretch out your hand and grab hold of Jesus Christ today and receive the gift of forgiveness of your sin and eternal life. And then find someone who looks like a regular after church today and talk to them about it. And they'll help you making the next step into the good life. Well, no matter who you are, Christian or non-Christian, you need to know the danger of the siren song of this world and the biddings of its enchantments and the empty promises of its song. And you need to stop your ears and tie yourself to the mast and steady the course of your ship toward those celestial shores lest you shipwreck your life on the rock of Satan's lies. And now here, the final lesson the Lord Jesus teaches us in this passage. That in Him is every blessing and happiness, and without Him, there are none. Without Him, there are none. This is verse 24 to 26. Hear the heart of Jesus in these words. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Odysseus was warned of the siren's song. These are Jesus' warnings to us all. He is exposing the rocks which lie just under the surface of the water. He is foretelling of the impending disaster that will fall upon all who are caught by the siren's spell. To be rich, to be full, to be entertained, to be well-liked, 
will not provide the life that we want. So he says, woe to you who are rich. Now before we get into any of the meaning of what that means, we need to first make sure that we read it as it is written. Woe to you. So so much easier for us to change the word you to those. Woe to those who are rich. But it must remain you. And remember, this isn't mostly about material wealth. This is about the spiritual effect that wealth has. For a man can be quite broke and still believe that money is the answer to his problems. This is a warning to the rich, to the self-made man, the self-made woman, to those who are self-defined, who use money to give them a better handle on their life. And those who are looking for consolation in riches, Jesus says, you can have it. You've received your consolation. But as terrible of an indictment as I can imagine. The New Living Translation puts it like this, you have your only happiness now. That's it, that's all you get. What do you get, 80 years in this life? 90? And then it's over. The word consolation means paid in full. And Jesus is saying, your riches fed you. Your riches entertained you. Your riches earned you the reputation that you wanted. But what have you gained? The same can be said of false prophets. And so the warning goes out to the rich and the full and the entertained and the well-liked. Not because it's sin to have money. I hope that when you leave here, you go and have a meal with mama and your belly is full. And that's not a sin. You should thank God for that. So this is not a warning because people have money or because people eat until they're full or because people laugh and because people have friends. That's not what Jesus is warning us about. Jesus is warning us because those things, when they become goals, things that we work for in our life, they prevent us from seeing our true spiritual need. They're like hallucinogenic opioids which dull our senses to our true spiritual need. Make us live in a fantasy about what life is about. And this is why so many of our friends and our neighbors have little to no interest in the things of God. The siren song of this world has blinded them to their own spiritual state and keeps them from turning to the Lord. Pray for them. I hope you pray for your neighbors. I hope that you have learned the name of those people who live on your block and that you're praying for them regularly. That God would open their eyes to the beauties of Christ and they would be saved. Jesus himself warned of those things which will render his word ineffective and unfruitful in our lives. He gave us three things in Mark's gospel. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things will choke out God's word and it won't be heard. And I fear that there are some here who will not heed the master's 
morning. I'm afraid some of us will plug our ears to the Lord Jesus and follow the siren's song anyway to, to disaster and to ruin. And I'm pleading with you to heed the words of your captain and to stop your ears from the enchantments of the song of this world, to trust not in your intuition, to trust not in the wisdom of man, and to lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. I fear for you, and I pray often for you, because many of us will spend more time on TikTok and cable news watchdog websites than we do in the Word of God. The good life that you're looking for will not come through knowing more about the world. It will only come by knowing more about the Lord. And I promise you, it is true what the Apostle Peter wrote. All things that pertain to life and godliness are granted to us through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All things. Everything you need for the life that you want, everything for the good life is found by growing in your knowledge of Him who called you to His own glory and excellence. So if we would have the blessed life, the prosperous life, the flourishing life for ourselves, if we want that for our neighbors, it won't come by any means other than growing in our knowledge of the One who is true. And I'm so encouraged by the number of you who fight hard to keep yourself in God's Word every day. And when you wake up and just don't feel it, you go to the Word anyway. I'm so proud of the moms here with young children who are in God's Word. How hard it is to stay focused when the kids are everywhere, doing all the things they shouldn't. And you fight to get yourself and your soul in God's Word. Keep yourself there. I'm so proud of you. I know the Lord is pleased with you. And he will bring fruit out of those times, even when you can't remember what you read just five minutes ago. There's nothing more important than this. To stop your ears to the siren song of this world and to open your ears to God's word. And then what you learn, proclaim to others locally, globally. And to rejoice in him as you watch power come out of him to heal the world of the effects of sin and demonic oppression. So, as I close, as many days as the Lord would give us, let us go to Jesus. Let us open his word. Let us hear his voice. Let us be healed of our disease. Let us be like Odysseus's men and keep the bow of his ship pointed to glory and keep those oars in the water rowing. And if a friend or a loved one starts listening to the sirens, do what you can to tighten those ropes of God's word around them as you get past that devilish song. Come to Jesus. Hear Jesus. Be healed by Jesus.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus to us. We thank you, Jesus, for coming down the mountain to us. That without you, we are hopeless and helpless. And so, Father, we readily confess to you today that we have heard the siren song of this world and we have diverted our life away from the journey home. And in so many ways have crashed our ships upon Satan's rocks. And we confess that we have not heeded the Master's warnings. We've sought our own course and brought ruin. Will you please forgive us? Thank you, Lord, for not leaving us in our sin. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place to redeem us. And please, Lord, give the Holy Spirit this morning to disenchant us from Satan's siren song. Give us ears to hear your word and to believe your truth. And make us a people who boldly and humbly proclaim your truth to our friends and neighbors. Pray this in Jesus' name. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we have an assurance of pardon from God's word. James chapter 5, verse 15 to 16 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working.